Good morning. Did you all enjoy your extra hour of sleep last night? Yay! Nobody was here an hour early, so that's a good sign. Uh, means that you all set your clocks back. We are in a sermon series that's entitled Gratitude Changes Everything. We're talking about how uh, gratitude influences our Christian life, our thinking, just everything about who we are and what we do. And today we're going to talk about a big word, eschatology. It informs our eschatology. I felt like this was a good Sunday to do it. You had an extra hour of sleep. All right. Let's uh, read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 to 29, and then we'll take a look at what this says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. And with great, grateful hearts, we come before you, dear Lord, giving you the glory and honor, praise, worship, and adoration that you deserve. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless this time, a holy time, as your word influences our hearts, transforms our minds, that your word changes our lives. I pray, Lord, that your word will transform each and every one of us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'll do it, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Eschatology is a theological term uh, just think of it this way. It's concerned with the death, judgment, and final destiny of our souls, the souls of all of mankind. But put it simply, it's heaven talk, right? There was a pastor who was talking to a group of students at church. He was talking about believing in God, about going to heaven. And at the end of his talk, he thought maybe he'd give them a little pep talk. And he said, where do you want to go? And they all cried, heaven. And what do you have to do to get there? And they all cried, die. <laughs> Eschatology is all about this idea of heaven, this idea of hell, this idea of what happens when we die. And our passage says a few things about gratitude and about heaven. I just kind of want to dive a little bit deeper to discuss how gratitude can inform our eschatology. The first phrase that I really want you to write down, and, and I, I see it so clearly here in the passage, is that heaven cannot be shaken. Heaven cannot be shaken. And this is a powerful truth, amen? It is, it is foundational to our hope that heaven cannot be shaken. Our, our inheritance is permanent and it's everlasting. Meditate on that truth. 
allow our gratitude, our imagination, to make this truth more evident in our lives. I own a 1989 Nissan D21 pickup truck. I bought the truck from a man who bought that 1989 pickup truck brand new. He put 150,000 miles on it, and he was meticulous in its care. He handed me a manila envelope with every maintenance repair record he had ever done to the truck. 150,000 miles, 34 years of every tire change, oil change, battery change, any repair done on that truck. The file was thick. He was meticulous to make sure that he took care of that truck. But guess what? Only a month after I owned it, the speedometer needle fell off. It was 34 years old. That little plastic piece had done its work. It was tired and it was over. And none of us are surprised, right? Because that's what happens here on earth. Stuff wastes away. As we look outside, even today, we are reminded that fall brings death to these leaves, right? They change colors. They fall off the tree and they die. This earth is so temporary and there's so much that die. Flowers die. The grass turns brown. But we are given the promise that heaven does not. It does not waste away. It does not shaken. It doesn't fade. Heaven is built for eternity. And Jesus reminds us of those words in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you were worried about that, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, he says. My father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Those are permanent rooms. Our stay is eternal. These promises should give us hope, fill our hearts with gratitude. But as we read on here in, in Hebrews, we also see that the heaven cannot be shaken, and that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Yet, I'm not sure that popped up on your radar as something you're thankful for. But I think there's a healthy position that we can take as we think about God as a consuming fire. 
The truth in this promise is that God will make all things right. God will bring justice where there's injustice. And we just need to be careful not to be the judge. We need to let God be the consuming fire, not Dale. (laughs) I read this poem earlier this week I thought I'd share with you. He says, I was shocked. I was confused. Bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all or the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did these sinners get up here? God, you must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. (laughs) This promise that God is a consuming fire allows us to take the role of judge in this world off of our shoulders because we can trust that God will make everything right. He's the ultimate judge who will make everything right. In 2 Peter 3, verse 13, that Peter writes, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And in this new heaven and new earth, it's not sin that's going to prevail. It's not brokenness that's going to prevail. It is that which is right. He says, where righteousness dwells. God will make everything right in the new heaven and the new earth. There will no longer be injustice. There will no longer be evil. Well, why doesn't God just remove the injustices here on earth? And it's Jesus who tells us this parable. Matthew chapter 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who who sowed good seed in his field. But while he was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then ran away. When the wheat sprouted up and formed heads, we're told the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came in and said, sir, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? He said an enemy did this. And his servants asked, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? And he said, no, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let the wheat 
and the weeds grow together until harvest. And at the harvest, you'll collect the weeds, you'll tie them in bundles. You'll collect the weeds, you'll tie them in bundles to be burned. You'll gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This right here is Jesus' way of saying, be patient. All the evil, the injustice, the unrighteousness that is happening here on earth, be patient. Our God is a consuming fire. He will make it all right again. We have this inheritance that cannot be shaken. It's eternal. And we have a God who will make everything right. And here's the final promise that expands our eschatological view. We, you and me, are invited to participate in this kingdom. The passage specifically says that we should worship God with reverence and awe. And we have to ask the question, well, what does that look like? And we get that answer if you take a look at all the passages that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Every time Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, you know what you'll find? Our participation. The kingdom to come is one aspect of eschatology, but so is the kingdom that, uh, that Jesus ushered here on earth when he was born. And as far as I can tell, every parable Jesus gives on the kingdom of heaven is an invitation for us to participate. We just read one, the harvesting of wheats and weeds, the planting of a mustard seed, a sower planting fields, finding a, a treasure in a field, casting a net while fishing, being given a talent to grow. All these parables and more about the kingdom of heaven invite us to participate in the work of God. And I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that God has invited even me, this lowly little servant of his. There's nothing special about us. We're not Moseses in this world. But each one of us have been invited to participate in the kingdom of God. I thought that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus was probably the most appropriate for us to discuss as we look at this passage because we have each of the elements that we've talked about today. In Luke chapter 16, it says there was a rich man. Look at this. He was dressed in fine linen and lived in luxury every single day. And at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus who was covered in sores. He longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. What do you see there? 
you see a story of injustice here in this world, right? A story and an invitation for the rich man to participate in the kingdom of God. But read on. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Ah, the promise of an eternal kingdom. In Hades, where he has torment, there's the righteousness, the consuming God. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony of this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember your lifetime and how you received good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted and you're in agony. Do you see him speaking to him, reminding him that he had an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. And besides all this, he says, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been set in place so that everyone who wants to go from here to you cannot and you can't cross over to us. We see every aspect here of what we're talking about in eschatology. That this kingdom is everlasting. That God will bring justice and even the rich man was reminded that while he's here on earth, we are invited to participate. And we will be judged based on our participation. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. My challenge to you this morning is to allow your gratitude to grow your view of the kingdom of heaven. I think a lot of us are grateful for heaven. I think a lot of us think about one day when we get to spend eternity with God and then we stop there. But it's deeper than that. It's remembering that we're not God, we're not judges, that God will bring everything right. It's a reminder that we have to participate in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And on our gratitude, open your life to allow God to use you here on earth. I'm thankful for this time of communion. It's a time that each one of us can rem remember that this God of judgment will judge each and every one of us. God will judge each and every one of us. Just because Jesus died and was resurrected doesn't mean that God stops his judgment. He will judge us. But the death that we deserve, our sentence was paid by Jesus Christ. We will be judged, and Jesus Christ makes us righteous before him. That's our reminder. When we go to the communion stations this morning, we take the cups. We are reminded of that sacrifice where Jesus made 
everything right. We're going to sing a song at this time, and while we're singing, I invite you to go to one of the stations to take the cups, to go back to your seat and reflect. And then I believe Jeff is going to come up and share a few words with us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me at this time? Father, I'm just uh, so incredibly grateful that you have created a place where we can rest in you, a place that is eternal, a place that cannot be shaken. And Father, as I look around at the brokenness of this world, I'm just grateful that, Lord, you're going to make it all right that, Father, you are a consuming fire that will right the wrongs, that you will bring justice where there's injustice. And, Father, we are grateful that you've invited us to participate in this kingdom here on earth. We pray for wisdom, that you'll open up our eyes and hearts to opportunities that we can serve you. And, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.